May the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be acceptable, Father, you who are our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. It wouldn't be a surprise at all for you if I was to suggest this morning that there's war going on right now someplace in the world. For those of us, including myself sometimes, who tend to watch the news more than I should, there's so much strife, so much war, so much disagreement. But you know, sensing what's going on in the world can cause us to tend to not look so much at what's going on in here, in my life, in my heart. Because so often there is pain and quarreling in my own life. In our communities, some of our neighbors and us don't get along. In our families, so tragic. Marriages that are constantly in turmoil and tension. Tension between our children and ourselves. Between ourselves and our parents. Disagreements with insurance com- in insurance companies with their clients. And I guess each of us can think back to a quarrel we had with someone probably not too long ago. I think back to the bully who bothered me when I was in elementary school. And I'd go to school fearing that I might meet him on the street. I don't even know why we were in disagreement and why he was a bully to me. Remember the time when he took, knocked me off my bike and, and I landed on the ground? He just, it was just his thing. And I don't really know the reason why we could not get along when I was about 10. For even children are aware of quarreling and disagreement. And some of us this morning may be at war with the Father, our Father God this morning. And you may be here this morning and you're saying, you know, George, that's probably the most significant thing for me right now is that me and the Father are in disagreement. We're at, we're at war with each other and I'm at a loss what to do. So to be able to deal with some of the battles of life is to cut a large swath through the tensions of the rest of our lives. And even as I raise the subject briefly this morning, as James does, of course, you're thinking about that other person who quarrels with that other person. And maybe you're not really thinking about, oh, it doesn't affect me. James, if you know anything about the book at all, is a book about testing. And he sets up a scenario of tests so we can test our walk in our Christian life. And he's very pointed at times, as he is in chapter 4. And so he raises this subject, as was read for us, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And even as you read this, and even as he penned it through the Holy Spirit centuries ago, it touches the life of modern day. Fights are the subject of a form of trial that every believer faces to test us, to mature us, or to defeat us. Trials are meant to be overcome. And so how might we this morning, uh, as we look at this text briefly, how might we overcome? How might we deal with the battles and quarrels of life? Two things this morning, really, James says. Basically, two ideas. And the first is, as we go into the text, is he says you first have to recognize the source of quarreling and trials 
in your life. Recognize the source. And the source or sources are described in the first six verses of the chapter. Of chapter 4. The first six verses deal with the source. And the very first source, of course, that he deals with is myself. In verses 2 and 3. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. So self is the first of the sources that causes the battles of life. James asks a question I think we all need to ask ourselves this morning. They come from a desire within you yourself. And you may say with me, yes, I understand that. I know that some of the battles of my life have to do with myself and my own recognition or my own fulfillment of a job or a purpose or a plan. Or maybe it has to do with the, when I wrestle with myself about success or popularity. It starts with myself. Maybe I'm living to see myself gratified and that's what leads to battles. That's what James is suggesting to us this morning. And the solution has something to do with asking God, which we'll look at a little bit later. Even when we ask with self-motives, we do not receive. Even when we ask the Father with self-motives, verse 3, we do not receive. God does not acknowledge requests that are selfish. Do you hear that? That's what James is suggesting. And so we find that scripture seems untrue, maybe, does it? Because he's suggesting some requests are not answered because of our selfishness. But you may say to me, as many of you actually did in writing your comments to the church, to the leadership, many of you quoted Matthew 7, 7, which says, ask and you, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks to him, the door will be opened. So do you find yourself with me then thinking there's a contradiction between Jesus who says ask and you'll receive, and James who says if you ask with selfishness you will not receive? You and I may talk about that a little bit later. I won't spend a lot of time on it, but you will find me always saying that Sometimes when there's a contradiction within Scripture, the reason is me. The reason is my understanding, my limited ability to understand. And so sometimes we need to look at that. Why don't I understand what appears to be a contradiction? For the motive for what we're seeking and asking, according to James, first of all, is ourself. That's the contradiction, and that's why God will not answer Secondly, another source is world influence. Verse 4, world influence. And he starts by saying, you adulterous people. Be careful when James uses this phrase, all right? You adulterous people. There's a context of the phrase. He's not talking about necessarily marriage that is only marriage and the relationship that's broken in a marriage. The context of this is that in the Old Testament, God used the image of marriage in describing his relationship to the Hebrew people initially and now in the New Testament to the church. And what James is realizing as he writes is that as a marriage can be broken through an adulterous relationship, 
So my following after other gods, my following after myself, my following after the world itself is like an adulterous relationship with the Father. And so the intimacy of a marriage is used as God tries to explain how the world influences us in such a way that it's like the breakdown of a marriage, of a deep marriage relationship that all of us are familiar with, with our friends, maybe, or our family. So when he says, you adulterous folk, he's talking about those of us who've put the world first, for whatever reason, forever how long, and the Father second, as we sung this morning, putting God first in our life, or the world first. Very serious. I think this is a, a very serious reason why we have quarrels and struggles in our life. Adulterous has to do with whom or what we choose to worship, whom or what we choose to put first in our life. And so it's a parallel here between two worlds, the world, as he would get to in a minute, the world that's led by Satan, the world that is worldly, and God himself. Do you believe that there's a evil? Do you believe there's a devil? James certainly does. The Holy Spirit does as he speaks through James. To choose to be a friend with the world is not by chance. It is our choice. It is a value system. And it means as we choose to live as the world lives, as we choose to think as the world thinks, we, are, we become, even as a believer, we become an enemy of the Father. In seeking or getting what we think we want, we give up allegiance to the Father. For we cannot, as Matthew 6.24 says, we cannot serve God and things. We cannot serve both God and things. You cannot drive a truck and power a motorboat at the same time. It's simply impossible. We cannot choose to be a friend of the world and humanism and chance and be a friend of the Father, to be in obedience to the Father. To choose the thought patterns of the world is to clearly become a stated enemy of God to wear Satan's colors. And there are only those two choices. There's only those two choices. An enemy of the world, an obedient servant to the Father. That's the world influence that James writes about. Thirdly, another source, and lastly of these sources, is, the, is pride, verse 6. Pride in uh, Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Haughty, arrogant. You know, I'm more important than somebody else. A haughty spirit. It is the opposite of the spirit of the Father in us. An extension of continued selfishness, yes. Pride of place in life. The influence of success in life. Not that being successful is wrong, but when it becomes our priority, it becomes a thing over the Father. It becomes a worldly sense over trusting in God alone. And I guess the source still goes back to ourself, doesn't it? It becomes our, we declare our personal war on the Father. You say to me, George, no, that's not me. I would never replace God in my own life. But have you ever experienced the heat of pride? The feeling that you've done it all yourself, your way, in your strength. Feels good, right? Sure, you can remember that sense of, ah, it's me. 
Look at me. So easily comes. It's so, that's why James addresses it as one of the reasons, one of the sources of quarreling among us and our distance from the Father and unanswered prayer. I mention in this context of the source before I move on, just one more thing. As we think of the, uh, uh, the separation between what we choose and what God chooses for us. I want to suggest to you, as Isaiah suggests, I'll just read a verse. I was going to read more of it, but let me just read the last verse because it's pertinent. Isaiah, right at the very beginning, at the very beginning, talks about this distance between ourselves and God, between the Hebrew nation and God. And he ends up by saying in verse 15 of Isaiah 1, when you spread out your hands in prayer, these are these who've left. These are these who've worshipped other gods. These are these people who have moved from the Father and followed the world and chosen to follow other idols and, and decided even as, as uh, even David or Solomon, choosing more than one wife. The moment they chose more than one wife, they disobeyed the Father. They went their own way. They were not blessed. And he says to those, when you spread out your hands in prayer, verse 15, I hide my eyes from you. Friends, this is serious stuff. God says when we follow the world alone, when we put self first, I hide my eyes from you. What's the subject? Prayer. I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Our prayer life is significantly influenced when we follow the world, when we choose other to follow anything else, selfish, in any selfish way, God doesn't hear your prayers. You can't pray for your kids. You can't pray for your spouse because he's not listening. You can't pray for the church. You can't pray for the nation. You can't pray for our prime minister. You can't pray for me. God isn't listening. Breaks my heart to realize we live in a nation where the church can't pray today. Prayers are not affecting our nation, I think, today because so many believers have other idols to follow, other desires, other plans. And friends, when we're in that state, that selfish state, that's the source of it. Myself, God doesn't hear my prayer. The only prayer he hears in that context is the prayer of repentance. In the name of Jesus, this morning, only the prayer of repentance. As David prayed, I must move on. For there's a war, and this is the source, or these are the sources, as James says. But look at verse 7 to 9, as was read so beautifully. You see the switch, you see the second part, you see the two parts separated between verses 6 and 7. Submit yourselves then to God. The first solution. So we have the source and we have the solution. The first of the solution is to submit ourselves to God. Come near to God. Purify your hearts. No longer serve in two worlds. James calls it being double-minded. That makes sense. No longer double-minded. Wash your hands of sin. This is a personal decision this morning. This is self the self is given over and becomes contained in the love and the power of God. For God loves you and he wants to hear our prayers. And he wants us to serve him and be in love with him as we sang this morning. Our self is the source of the battles. 
it can be submitted to God this morning. To a loving, healing, creator, God who loves mankind, who loves our nation, who loves the church. He is the source of our lives. He's the author of every breath. He's the creator of the family. He's the one who blesses work. He's the one who causes seeds to grow. And we submit our wills to him. But you say, George, no, in this matter, I can't submit my will to him. I can't do it. I won't do it. Then don't look at it as a war, my friend. Look at your submission as a release, as a freedom, as a, aha, not a war, but a release. Submission is a healthy spiritual release. Are you tired of the battle of life? You can know a sense of relief. Submit to God who loves you so much. As a sailboat submits to the wind, it's a, it's a freedom, it's a release. We submit to the roads. We submit to the white lines and the yellow lines. We submit to the curves or else we end up in trouble. Submitting is a release, it's a freedom. We submit to God and finally relax. And that's how we deal with the battles of life. As butter melts in the heat, to resist means the devil is out of the way. The power of Satan is lost. Verse 9 is interesting, isn't it? Grieve, mourn, and wail. Why the switch? Why the, like the 7 and 8 start so positively, why the switch? Grieve, mourn, loss, wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. What is he saying to me? I think he's saying to me, George, be aware of those who were lost in your midst. Be aware of those close to you who haven't submitted, who are involved with the world. Grieve for them. Pray for them. They can't pray for themselves. And when we know someone is caught up in the world and caught up in the thinking of the world, we grieve for them. We mourn for them. And through the Holy Spirit, we pray for them. And verse 10, of course, another and last way in which we discover this successful journey of getting rid of the battles of life isn't, of course, very clear, my friends, isn't it? Humble yourselves before the Lord. Before the God of creation, humble yourselves before the Lord. And what? He will lift you up. I've never been in a hot air balloon. I've watched it, especially on television. I've never, I've never had that exhilarating experience of being lifted up in a hot air balloon. But that's the image I had. Submit yourselves to the Father and He will lift you up. It's not of your own. It's not of anything you're doing. It's lifting you up. I did have one experience, though that I'm reminded of this morning. Years ago, when our son was learning to fly, uh, he was flying out of, out of the Wetaskiwin Airport in Alberta, and we lived nearby. And one day he said, Dad, he said, I need to go and I need to um, learn how to go across the border, the U.S. border, in a small plane. There's a routine. And so he says, why don't you come with me? And so we hopped in the plane in Wetaskiwin and flew down the the, the edge of the, of the mountains, just, you know, west of Calgary, all the way down, all the way down. And we landed in a place called Pincher Creek. Anybody know Pincher Creek? And you still got your hair? Right. Pincher Creek. And so we landed, you know, the joke will come in a minute. And so uh, you'll, you'll la- we landed in Pincher Creek in this little small plane. And he went in, and I stayed in the plane. And he went in, and he phoned someone 
uh, an officer in the town right across in, in um, Montana, just really close to the border. I even forget the name of the town. I re- and, he, and he said, I'm, I'm, I'm clear, I want you to clear the way. I'm coming over. And that's how you do it. You contact uh, from, in those days, a phone in, in Pincher Creek at the airport over to this. Uh, and so Glenn got back in the plane. It was very windy. That's what I meant. It was extremely windy. And so we pulled out and taxied onto the runway to head over into Montana. And Glenn faced, faced the plane in the runway against the wind. And the wind was, this is a little wee one-engine one plane, the wind was so strong, blowing in our direction, which, of course, you have to take advantage of the wind. And I was watching, and he fired up, and we simply went straight up like this. Just lifted right, we never actually advanced. We just went, whoop, the wind was so strong. We just went straight, and I was looking down, and the ground's right there, staying there, and we're going up. Of course, you understand, if you understand flight and all, you, you know what was going on. But I was just lifted right up to about, oh, I don't know, several thousand feet before we banked, left, and headed across the border. Submit to him, right? And he will lift you up. Whatever it is you're facing this morning, whatever it is that you've refused to submit to the Father, whatever worldly idea or thought that you've had this morning, you can say, God, I'm humbly giving it to you. I don't know how you're going to answer it. I don't know how you're going to make it clear, but I give it to you. Whether it's that child that you've been praying for for years, or that marriage that you've hung on to, even though it seems useless, or that parent that's aging and you don't know what's going to happen, whatever it is, humbly submit it to him, and he will lift you up. How to deal with the stress. Come before the Father humbly this morning. Using Jesus as our model, we're getting close to, to Easter, the cross, the Good Friday. We're getting close. Using Jesus as our model who humbled himself. God himself, the Son, humbled himself and lived among us and gave his life for you and me so we could submit. It's impossible to submit to God without understanding the work of Jesus on the cross. Amen. It's impossible. But you know that work. And you're going to be reminded of that work again. You know the work of the cross. And that's how we submit this morning to deal with the battles of life according to James. And Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The invitation from me this morning is simply as you pray, as you bow your heads, let us pray together. And the invitation is simply this. If you need to talk to me about something that's come into your heart this morning, some issue, some matter of the world, I'm available. There's ways to reach me. If you need to be, or one of the elders, if you need them to pray with you, we're here for you this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the reality of James' teaching as the Holy Spirit taught him, that we can come, our Father, as individuals and separate ourselves from the world. And if there is anyone this morning, our Father, who is wrestling with an issue that is yet not resolved. They've not submitted it to you this morning. I pray that you give them the energy and the courage, the strength under the leadership of Jesus to deal with that today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship God together.